quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from London, I'm Isa Suarez. In for Julia Chatterley, this is First Move, and here's your need to know. Casino clampdown, Macau's gambling stocks shed billions as China considers greater oversight. Instagram investigation reports says Facebook knew the social network was toxic for the teen girls. And ready to blast off, SpaceX set to launch the first flight crewed entirely by non-astronauts. It is Wednesday, so let's make a move. Welcome to First Move, everyone. Great to have you with us this Wednesday. And the Apple iPhone 13, if you remember, that launch took place yesterday. The SpaceX Inspiration 4 crew are set for their historic launch later tonight. U.S. stocks, though, unfortunately, are trying to take off too. Futures are pointing to modestly higher open after what has been a pretty volatile day of trading uh, on Tuesday. Stocks rallied earlier yesterday after the release of that pretty tame read on U.S. consumer inflation, only to lose their gains, as you can see there, and close lower. Uh, pretty flat right across the, uh, the, the board there. The Dow taking the biggest hit. If we have a look at the Dow now trading near two-month lows. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 has fallen more than 1.5% so far this month as well. That's in the last three months. Well, meantime, stocks have turned lower in Europe. New numbers show UK inflation spiking at a record rate last month. Uh, FTSE pretty flat right now. And it's been a a rough day in Asia. China today reporting weaker than expected retail sales numbers. Macau-based casino stocks plunged on fears of tighter government control. Let's take a look at these huge moves uh, in the casino stocks. As you can see there, Sands China down 32%. Win Macau 28%, 28%, MGM China 26%, and Galaxy Entertainment plunged 20% uh, in Hong Kong trading too. Well, US listed casino names with ties to Macau sold off on Tuesday as well, and are low again in pre-market trade with Win uh, pre-market 10.8% lower. Let's get more on this in our driver. Stephen Zhang has the latest for you from Beijing. This massive sell-off of a Macau casino operator's stocks came one day after an announcement from Macau's authorities really pointing to a regulatory overhaul for this extremely lucrative industry starting next year when these companies' licenses are up for rebidding. A senior Macau official on Tuesday told a press conference that the government in this semi-autonomous Chinese city would launch a 45-day public consultation starting today on Wednesday, covering nine major areas affecting this industry, uh, ranging from the number of licenses to be given, how long they would last, to uh, even sending government representatives to supervise day-to-day operations of the casinos. 
And the government also indicated they wanted to consider promoting uh, projects with non-gambling elements, really indicating a shift in government priority or preferences for local economic growth engines. This may not come as a total surprise, though, because the central government here in Beijing has become increasingly concerned about Macau's over-reliance on this one industry. And a major part of that is because uh, a large portion of Macau's gamblers actually uh, comes from mainland China, where uh, gambling is strictly prohibited. So the authorities here in China have uh, already placed in restrictions uh, limiting the flow of both people and money between the two sides, even before the pandemic. Now, there's also a geopolitical dimension here as well, because many of Macau's biggest casinos are run by companies based in the U.S. We're talking about uh, Sands, Wynn, and MGM. So uh, there are some fears that these companies may not fare as well uh, as their local competition as the uh, rebidding process begins, with the tensions uh, continuing to grow between Washington and Beijing. So all of this, of course, has spooked investors uh, who have already been slammed hard by China's recent crackdown on a number of sectors ranging from tech to education to gaming, wiping out $3 trillion off market value of some of China's biggest companies. Stephen Jiang, CNN, Beijing. We'll stay uh, on top of that story for you in the coming days and see how stocks move both in Beijing as well as in the United States. Well, China is also dealing with a new COVID outbreak in the southern eastern province of Fujian. More than 150 cases have been reported in five days. I want to show you this video that's been circulating on social media showing a child in Fujian wearing a hazmat suit and undergoing a CT scan all by himself after testing positive for COVID-19. Now, the outbreak also prompting officials in other parts of the country to issue travel warnings ahead of major holidays. I think it's coming up in about a month or so. Ivan Watson's live for us in Hong Kong with the latest. Ivan, uh, what more do we know about this video, about this child and this latest outbreak? Well, the video was purportedly taken by uh, a nurse who can be heard narrating saying, hey, this four-year-old child is going into quarantine alone wearing this hazmat suit. And that has spread rapidly across China's very heavily censored internet and social media and has triggered some real concern, understandably, and some outrage. Uh, Where and how has this happened? Well, China maintains this very strict zero COVID case policy, even though COVID was first detected in the Chinese city of Wuhan back in December of 2019. So whenever there's an outbreak, there are very strict measures imposed that try to squelch uh, the virus. In the case of Fujian, it's a different outbreak from previous ones, officials say, because it has spread particularly in one school for around 10 days before it was noticed. So there are around 20 children, at least, that have tested positive out of more than 150 positive COVID cases over the last five days that have been detected. Uh, There have been some strict measures imposed to try to stop this ongoing spread. Uh, Part of it has involved strictly quarantining thousands of people uh, and also uh, some lockdowns on several cities where people cannot even cross the thresholds of their homes. Also, uh, barring non-essential travel outside of two or three cities that have been impacted thus far. This is how seriously the Chinese government takes an outbreak with only about 152 cases thus far. Uh, We are already hearing, though, signs that local officials in that city of Putian, where that video was taken, reversing course on 
imposing quarantines on children. Uh, with a press conference on Wednesday where a local official said, okay, we're going to allow uh, a, a relative, a close contact to do the quarantine with children under the age of 14, which will probably make everybody uh, breathe a, a little easier now. Yeah, and meanwhile, and meanwhile, Ivan, you know, we've got, what, a uh, busy holiday month next month, uh, Golden Week, and I'm guessing the government will want to try and bring those numbers down before, obviously, the biggest, the busiest time for travel in China uh, kicks off. Yeah, I mean, that's one concern, too, that you could have tens of millions of people moving around and yeah. and the fear that uh, particularly this this covid uh, Delta variant could could then circulate further. So you do have Chinese officials that are also trying to to ramp up vaccination. We've heard uh, some impressive statistics coming from the government, uh, the Ministry of Education, saying that 91 percent of students between the ages of 12 and 17 across the country have b- received both of their vaccination doses, for example. Uh, That's pretty impressive. Uh, There is one caveat there. One of China's uh, vaccines for COVID is Sinovac, which has uh, an efficacy rate in the 50 percentile range and could be more vulnerable to something like the Delta variant of COVID, could leave people uh, who are vaccinated potentially more vulnerable. Uh, In the case of this one province of Fujian, uh, we're also seeing, as I mentioned before, uh, strict bans on people leaving their home cities. Uh, That's one of the measures that they want to take to stop people from getting out and spreading the virus further. Impressive. Numbers indeed, but a very important context there from Ivan Watson on exactly what that means. Thanks very much, Ivan. Now, let me bring you up to date with the stories making headlines around the world this hour. North and South Korea have conducted rival missile tests just hours apart from each other. Not long ago, Seoul fired a new submarine-launched ballistic missile, becoming only the seventh country in the world to do so. It came less than three hours after Pyongyang launched two ballistic missiles of its own into the sea. CNN's Paula Hancock has been monitoring all from Seoul and she joins me now. Uh, and Paula, I can only imagine the, you know, the, how much this has raised tensions in the region. What more are we learning about this and in particular the timing of this, Paula? Well, Lisa, it's certainly been a busy day on the Korean Peninsula. Let's start with what North Korea did just after 12.30 p.m. local time. They fired two ballistic short-range missiles. Now, these are the types of missiles that are violating the UN Security Council resolution. So surely there will be much reaction to that. And then just a few hours later, as you say, there was this submarine-launched ballistic missile that was launched Uh, and test fired by South Korea, uh, making it it, just the seventh to be able to do this in the world and all the other countries that have test fired this kind of uh, missile technology are nuclear capable countries. So certainly from South Korea's point of view, it was a significant day. The president, uh, Moon Jae-in, was in attendance watching this as well. He was uh, at pains to point out that this was not in retaliation, in reaction to uh, what he called North Korean provocations. But he did say that improving the missile capabilities uh, would certainly help in the, uh, the deterrence against North Korea. Now, there are a number of other things that, uh, that, that South Korea was showing off today uh, as well, different uh, missile technologies. And they really have uh, increased their capabilities recently, increased their defense budget as well. 
uh, which all really started from last May when President Moon Jae-in went to Washington to meet with the U.S. President Joe Biden. And there they agreed to lift this restriction that had been in place for 40 years, a restriction on the, the range of missiles that South Korea is allowed to produce and, and also the, uh, the capability. So that's been lifted and South Korea has made no qualms about wanting to increase its missile capability. But clearly, the world is going to be far more concerned with what North Korea is doing with its missiles than what South Korea has done. Isa? Paula Hancock's Brazilian Seoul. Thanks very much, Paula. And let me continue taking you right around the world what other stories we're following. CNN projects California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, has defeated the year-long attempt to remove him from office. The recall effort was launched by Republicans fed up with Newsom's pandemic response, including lockdowns and mask mandates. Well, after the vote, Newsom thanked voters for saying yes to science and yes to vaccines. And CNN's Becky Anderson has an exclusive interview with Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan, his first media interview since the Taliban took, over, uh, took power in Afghanistan. It covers, as you can imagine, a range of topics and will air in full in the next hour, in fact, on Connect the World. But for now, I'm going to leave you with this quick preview. How would you describe the situation in Afghanistan today? Uh, I think um, it's... Um it's worrying. Afghanistan is um, on a historic crossroads. One, if it goes well, and we pray that it, 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 this works in the direction of peace after 40 years in Afghanistan, if this uh, uh, Taliban hold all of Afghanistan, and um, uh, if they can sort of now work towards an inclusive government, get all the factions together, Afghanistan could have peace after 40 years. <clears throat> but if it goes wrong, and which is what we are really worried about, <clears throat> it could go to chaos, the biggest humanitarian crisis, a huge refugee problem, unstable Afghanistan, and the reason why the U.S. came in was to fight uh, terrorism or, or international terrorists. So unstable Afghanistan, refugee crisis, and the possibility of, again, uh, terrorism from Afghanistan soil. And you can see the full interview of Prime Minister Khan and Becky Anderson right here in the next hour on Connect the World. You do not want to miss that exclusive interview. And still to come right here on First Move Facebook, new Instagram was toxic for teens and did nothing about it. The latest on the explosive Wall Street Journal report. And SpaceX is set to launch four people into orbit with no professional astronauts aboard. We're bringing both those stories after a very short break. You are watching CNN. Welcome back to First Move, where it's looking like a mostly higher open for U.S. stocks, as you can see there, after Tuesday's uh, really a crossable pullback. Green arrows all uh, over as we look at the futures. Of course, we're still waiting a good 12th or so minutes until the opening bell. News the U.S. consumer price inflation moderated last month came, of course, as a relief to investors yesterday. And if that trend continues, well, it could help the Fed really keep interest rates lower for longer. But fresh economic challenges, of course, await investors tomorrow when the U.S. releases its latest look at retail sales. Now, China today reporting that its retail sales rose just 2.5% last month. Economists... We're looking for a 7% jump, so 
quite, quite a difference. All this, of course, is the crisis that Chinese property developer Evergrande deepens. We brought you that story yesterday. We'll continue to stay on top of it. Its shares fell again in Hong Kong today amid reports who won't be able to make key loan payments that come due next week. Markets fearing that Evergrande default could have, of course, a wider impact on the Chinese financial system. And that's why we stay on top of the story. Meanwhile, Wall Street Journal says Facebook knew Instagram was harmful to teenagers and did nothing about it. The report cites three years of internal research on the app's mental health impact. Anna Stewart joins me now for more. And Anna, what's critical here for our viewers and many will that no doubt will be asking exactly what did Facebook know and when did they know it? So what we know is Facebook has been conducting these studies for the last three years, looking at the impact Instagram has on the mental health of teenagers and young people. And it won't surprise anyone, I think, to know there are some negative implications here. But the extent of it from these studies is perhaps quite shocking. So take a look. Their researchers found that Instagram makes one in five teens feel worse about themselves. Teens who struggle with mental health say the platform makes it worse. And then perhaps most shocking of all, 6% of US teen users trace suicidal thoughts directly to Instagram. And that number over doubles for those in the UK. The research also showed, Issa, that some of these problems are specific to Instagram. It looks at the different platforms. It says TikTok bases a lot on performance, for instance, Snapchat, more uh, focus on faces and jokey filters. Whereas Instagram is very much linked to body image, to lifestyle, to wealth. And perhaps most shocking of all with this report from the Wall Street Journal isn't just the study itself, but the fact that maybe Facebook didn't do enough about it. They didn't share it. In fact, they look quite evasive. U.S. senators did ask directly for Facebook's internal research just last month in August, and they didn't really give it. And one senator today says we can expect to hear more about this in hearings and legislation. Now, the response from Facebook, they don't deny the research that has been found. They have put out a statement which includes this. Social media isn't inherently uh, good or bad for people. Many find it helpful one day and problematic the next. What seems to matter most is how people use social media and their state of mind when they use it. However, they do say, Issa, they'll be more transparent going forwards when it comes to sharing their research. Yeah, that, that is a start. But I'm sure, uh, as the senators have pointed out in the United States, this is not the end uh, of this story. Meanwhile, Anna, TikTok, uh, which, of course, competes, competes fiercely with Instagram and who has also come under fire, I think it's fair to say, said it's taking mental health seriously. What are they doing? Yeah, interesting. They put out a direct statement following this report, uh, going through some of the things they think can help, some of the tools that they are using. And they do point out that sharing personal experiences on social media can be helpful, but it has to be done in a safe way. Some of the tools they are using include publishing well-being guides regarding mental health issues from suicide to eating disorders and making sure that when people search for specific hashtags like suicide, they are directed to help or they have public service announcements on there. That is something Twitter and Instagram, I have to say, already do. Facebook have also trialed things like removing the like function from posts. The issue is, do any of these tools make any real difference? It is a huge predicament facing social media firms, regulators, parents, and of course, the young users themselves. Isa. Indeed. Anna Stewart there for us. Thanks very much, Anna. And of course, if you or someone you know might be at risk of suicide, there are ways 
to help. In the United States, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is on your screen right now. For support outside of the United States, a worldwide directory of resources, as well as international hotlines provided by the International Association for Suicide Prevention. And of course, you can turn to befrienders worldwide. Now, Apple unveiled its new iPhone range on Tuesday, upgraded cameras and options, including a huge one terabyte of storage stole the headlines. Apple also showed off a new watch and improved kind of mini iPads. The best of all, the prices stay the same. In fact, some of them actually went up. Joining me is Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Dan, great to have you on the show. Uh, What did you uh, make of the Apple event uh, yesterday? Were you impressed with these incremental upgrades and new product models? Yeah, we are very impressed, especially when it comes to the, the chip, the A15. Remember, Apple, they're controlling more and more of their ecosystem because they own the chip. You look at battery technology, and I think the camera, that's really going to be a game changer in terms of cinematic mode and the terabyte. For, for iPhone Pro Max, that's significant, and that's something many core users have been waiting for. We believe this is sort of the second, third inning of the super cycle playing out, and it, it's our opinion this is just going to be another growth driver into what I think is going to be a holiday bonanza uh, for Apple. And we'll get into that holiday bonanza, but I was surprised to see that, that there was unfortunately un, one unwelcome update, Dan. That's the price of the iPhone. I think it's the most expensive model ever. Uh, I, the price I looked, and you can correct me, is $1599. I mean, will people be flocking to Apple, especially coming out of a pandemic, you think? Well, I think Apple's needed to sort of balance that. If you look, the base model, prices stayed unchanged. They came out with a mini. And then, of course, on the high end, you know, those are more, much more expensive models, especially on the terabyte one. I think what you're seeing here, and you've seen with iPhone 12 as well, Apple's looking at all different price points. And that's why iPhone 12, because of the pent-up demand, it's been massively successful. Right now, about 25% of users, about 250 million, based on our research, have not upgraded their phone in three and a half years. And I think that's why this continues to be a super cycle, no doubt, given consumer you know, in terms of some of the pressures we're seeing from a spending perspective, they'll mm. continue to see a bit of a headwind. But overall, this has really been a super cycle playing out. Really interesting, uh, the number of users who are actually not bought, but who, you know, in terms of upgrading. But Dan, look, what do these Apple releases mean for Apple stock? If I can get my producers to bring up the share price. I mean, shares have really outperformed the tech sector. Uh, is it, do you think, sustainable? Well, it's our view that, that when we go into early, called spring 2022, we're looking at a $3 trillion mark cap for Apple. But because wow. of, we believe, the success on iPhone 13, but also that services business, which continues to get re-rated. And I think the street is underestimating the Apple growth story. They've screened it as it's gone from $1 to $2 trillion, now pulling out their hair, going from 2 to $3 trillion. I think it just comes down to that install base, the monetization, and to new multiple, a new way that investors are valuing Apple. But what, I mean, as a product, as an Apple product, what makes you think that Apple will indeed go up in, in so much like in value, like you're estimating? Well, part of it, we talk about that install base. I mean, that, that's the one yeah. thing. If there's any number, that's the key. I mean, you have a, a golden install base, 25% haven't upgraded their phone in three and a half years. Then you look at the services, their ability to monetize customers 
It's only 15% penetrated today. That services business alone, we think is worth 1.3 to 1.5 trillion. No doubt, regulatory pressure. We saw the epic uh, verdict come out last week. I think you put that all together. This is a stock. Multiple continues to go higher. I think numbers go higher. And that's the focus, you know, as we look at Apple, uh, especially going 2022. And very briefly, we've seen a regulatory crackdown on Chinese tech stocks. Do you think this will have any impact on U.S. stocks? I think a little more Teflon like. And ultimately, we've seen a massive rotation from Chinese to U.S. tech stocks. Right now, unless you uh, like jumping off a cliff without a parachute, it's hard to own a Chinese tech stock today, given the crackdown. Indeed. Dan Ives there. Great to have you on the show. The Managing Director of Thank Equity you. Research at Wedbush Securities. Thanks very much, Dan. And the market open is next. Welcome back to First Move, U.S. stocks. There you go, that's the bell. U.S. stocks are up and running this Wednesday as the opening bell signals a new trading day. We're off to a mostly, well, let's have a look. Higher? No, flat, flat down, as you can see, volatility. Stocks, however, have struggled uh, to gain traction in September so far, but so at this hour, pretty flat. Global investor sentiment took a further hit today from news that COVID lockdowns continue to put pressure uh, in the Chinese economy. All of this, of course, as Beijing continues its historic clampdown, as we mentioned at the top of the show with our Stephen Jiang, uh, clampdown on private businesses. US-based casino firms with licenses in Macau, we put you that story at the top, that expire next year, a sharply lower for a second day. As you can see, MGM 2% win, also 8%. Las Vegas Sands, 5.5%. Now, investors fear that officials in the Chinese territory are considering tighter regulations on that industry, hence why you're seeing those very uh, sudden market moves. Well, later today, SpaceX will launch the world's first space flight entirely crewed by non-astronauts. Among them will be billionaire Jared Isaacman, who is funding a three-day mission called Inspiration4. He'll be joined by a cancer survivor, a geologist, and a raffle winner. And they will return to Earth by splashing down off the Florida coast. Rachel Crane joins me from the Kennedy Space Center. And, and Rachel, this is in- incredibly exciting. I mean, an all civilian crew. I know you've been speaking to them. Give us a sense of how perhaps they may be feeling and what we can expect today. Well, I said, I spoke to them yesterday and I asked them, are you nervous? And they said, no, they maintained that they had the good kind of butterflies, but they weren't nervous at all. In fact, after I spoke to them, they went for a run around the launch pad that you see over my shoulder here to go run around and look at their beautiful rocket. And that launch pad is 39A. It's the site of where Apollo 11 brought humans to the moon. Also the the location of many shuttle launches. Also where SpaceX restored American capability of launching humans from American soil to the International Space Station. So the site of many historic launches and also today, hopefully a new chapter in spaceflight will open with this Inspiration4 launch of the first all-civilian launch to orbit with no professional astronauts on board. And the TikTok here isn't really going to start until about three hours before that 8.02 launch, Eastern time launch window begins. In fact, the crew is still sleeping. They're not expected to wake 
take up till about 1 p.m. today and 45 min minutes before that uh, launch window opens again at 8.02 Eastern time. That's when that critical go for propellant load uh, pull will take place. And that's when you know it's really full steam ahead. But today is really the culmination of months of preparation for this mission. Now, this crew, they've hiked Mount Rainier together to bond. They've gone through mission simulations, one of which was 30 hours long. Uh, and they also did some really cool zero-G flights uh, to acclimate themselves to weightlessness. And I actually had the opportunity to go through that exact same training that Inspiration4 did on that zero-G flight. Take a look. Oh my goodness, wow. I'm feeling like an astronaut, that's for sure. Where are we and what are we gonna be doing today? Here we are, Newark Airport, and we're gonna be going up in zero gravity on G-Force One, and you're gonna get the same experience as it people on the ISS have. Zero Gravity Corporation uses a modified Boeing 727 flying in parabolic motion to create multiple spurts of weightlessness. Richard Branson acclimated himself to zero G's on one before oh he went God. into space, as did the crew of Inspiration4, the first all-civilian flight into orbit. You don't want your first experience in, in zero gravity to be in space, and it's a very unique feeling, and this gives them the framework to understand it. I'm a little nervous. We all know that flying on a rocket ship is dangerous, but how dangerous are these flights? There's no risk or danger in what we do. We've flown 17,000 passengers over the last 16 years, not one injury and not one issue. So we have all the same regulation, safety, everything as that United flight does. Unlike Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson's flights, this plane isn't on a rocket aimed at space. An airspace of 10 miles by 100 miles is cleared for a G-Force One flight. There's a lot of talk about these suborbital flights democratizing space, but is this experience the closest thing that, you know, a normal person, a normal person will ever uh, experience? Yeah, the price point, I mean, no one would say $7,500 is cheap. cheap but but it's accessible. It's a lot less than $28 million. What is the value of the weightlessness experience? Like, Is this just for thrill seekers or is there real research value to these flights? Right now, I would say half of it is research and then the other half is consumer facing. We've done things that are literally on the cutting edge for space, testing out how to do 3D printing and microgravity. We've done experiments in, in how to animate freeze-dried blood. To go out and test things in zero gravity or microgravity in space, prohibitively expensive and not realistic. Now, Isa, the crew of Inspiration4 will be in orbit for about three days. They'll, they'll be orbiting the Earth 15 times a day. And there's something interesting about this Crew Dragon. They've replaced the docking mechanism uh, on board uh, the spacecraft with a beautiful cupola. So uh, those crew members, they are going to get quite a view of space, Isa. Super exciting. I'm very jealous you took part in that. I know you said they're all sleeping. I very much doubt 
they are sleeping. They must be so excited and nervous. Thank you very much, Rachel Crane, for us there. Well, listening to that is Leroy Chiao, a former NASA astronaut and a commander of the International Space Station, a well-known face here on the show. He's also a member of the Safety Advisory Panel for SpaceX. Leroy, great to have you on the show. So here you have, really, uh, a billionaire, a cancer survivor, a geologist, and a raffle winner. I mean, where do we even start? How do you train them, Leroy, for space? The biggest thing is that this is an automated flight, and so there's nothing for them to do uh, that a professional astronaut would be doing on uh, a different mission. So the biggest thing that you want to do is to make sure that they bond together as a team. So as you heard earlier, they have done multiple things together. They've been in stressful situations together, and it looks from all, all, all things that I've seen that they have bonded very well. So that's, that's important because, you know, you're going to be in a small space together for several days, and so you want to be able to get along. I mean, there are no professional astronauts, as you heard there, on that flight. I know uh, the gentleman we heard on that piece saying there's no risk or danger, but what happens if something does go wrong? Well, I think it's inaccurate to say there's no risk. There's risk in everything you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there is going to be risk. Anytime you're sitting on top of a rocket with propellant and rocket engines and all that, of course, there's going to be risk. Also flying in space, once you're in orbit, there's less risk, but there's still risk. And so, you know, the biggest thing we worry about with spacecraft is orbital debris. Now, fortunately, we have good, um, you know, models that uh, and tracking devices that are tracking most of that. Uh, but, you know, that is the biggest concern. And at the altitude that they'll be flying at, which is actually higher than the ISS, there's actually a little bit more orbital debris up there. Uh, but all the mitigation strategies have been employed. So uh, I think they're going to be fine. And obviously, much is always made of the launch and the risks, like you said, with it, Leroy. But I was reading that the re-entry, and I'm quoting someone here, could feel like a blazing meteor coming in. Explain that to us. Sure. Well, you know, you've got to put a lot of energy into a spacecraft to get it up to orbital speed of around 25,000 kilometers an hour. And then you have to take that energy out when you come back down. And so people have this idea that coming back down is safer than going up, but it's really not. It's the transfer of that energy. And yeah, you are in a fireball. There's no question about it, especially coming down uh, on a, in a capsule. I remember my experience coming down on a Soyuz, a Russian Soyuz capsule. I was sitting right next to a porthole and I could look out and see flaming bits of the heat shield go by. So no question you're in a fireball. Yeah, I, yeah, that's it's of course, because everyone always fo focuses on the on the launch. Look, Leroy, I think our viewers would love a, a sense from you what it's like traveling to Earth's orbit, you know, and what you think this all civilian crew really can expect on this three day journey here. Well, it's going to be spectacular. You know, the rocket ride, of course, is very exciting. It's very quick. It's, you know, it's only around a, a nine minute, uh, you know, flight into orbit. Once you get into orbit, uh, you know, the, they're going to be greeted with a beautiful view of the Earth. And it's it's just going to be wowing. I mean, even though I'm sure they've seen the, the movies and the, the photographs and talk to people, when you see it for yourself, you're still not quite prepared for it. Uh, coming back down, we kind of talked about it. it's not like the movies. You're not you're not being bounced around as much as, as in the movies. You're going to pull some G-forces, but it's not going to be too bad. And uh, But you are going to be in that fireball. Um, you know, so it's going to be a, a very exciting ride for all of them. And those, those few days are going to go by like uh, in the snap of a finger. Yeah, and they seem to have definitely been training for this. Look, Leroy, this mission, as you would no doubt have heard so many of us say, is being billed as the beginning of a new era for space travel where, you know, ordinary people, not just astronauts or millionaires, can take part. 
But realistically, how far away are we away from this? Because it's still expensive. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, as, as you pointed out, the, uh, the sponsor, if you will, of this, of this mission is, is a billionaire. And that's what it takes. It takes a lot of money to buy a rocket, even though SpaceX has made great strides dramatically bringing down uh, the cost of access to space in, in more, less expensive rockets. Uh, it's still out of reach for, for, for most people. You know, it's, we're still talking about millions of dollars, uh, perhaps tens of millions of dollars per seat uh, to get on one of those spacecraft and go. And so we're a long ways from the so-called, you know, buying a ticket on, on an airline and going into space because of the complexity. You've got rocket engines, you've got, uh, you know, a lot of uh, moving parts, a lot of fuel, a lot of propellant, everything's got to work just right. So bringing that cost down has been a challenge uh, and it's going to take probably some kind of a breakthrough in propulsion technology where we can inexpensively uh, and reliably propel people into space. That's what's going to bring the price down. Well, at least we are getting closer, Leroy. I think that's a great sign. I, for one, I'm super excited about it. Leroy Chow, thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. And of course, you can see the live coverage of the launch later today right here on CNN. Thanks, Leroy. Thank now, you. dreaming of a second home, fast-growing property co-ownership platform Picasso, Picasso is now moving into Europe. We'll have the details next. Welcome back, everyone. Now, Picasso, a real estate startup that helps people buy and co-own a second home, is raising another $125 million. That puts a value of $1.5 billion on Picasso, which still isn't even one year old. The San Francisco-based company now wants, as you can imagine, to expand into Europe. Joining me now, CEO of Picasso, Austin Allison. Austin, great to have you on the show. And congrats, by the way, on raising that last bunch of funding. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about the business and in particular uh, your venture into Europe. Explain to our, uh, yeah, our viewers exactly, first of all, where you're looking to go uh, and why. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thank you for having me, Isa. It's great to be here. So Picasso provides a service that empowers people to buy beautiful homes and beautiful second home locations for one-eighth the cost. And we do that through this concept of co-ownership, where a small group of people come together and co-own a home together. And as you mentioned, we're really excited to announce a $125 million Series C that was led by SoftBank. And that capital will empower us to expand into a lot of new markets, starting with Spain, which will be our first European market. Before we talk Spain, then, let me ask you this, because our many viewers, perhaps some of the viewers might not know about the business. You said one eighth. Families can share, obviously, the price or they can share the home. How many families, though, Austin, on average, share a home, just to get a sense? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the best way to get your mind around this is imagine if you and four or five of your closest friends or family members decided to own a second home together. That's how Picasso works. We form an LLC. The property is owned in an LLC and up to eight families can co-own a home together. Wow. You can buy as little as one eighth of the home or as much as four eighths of the home or 50%. And Picasso manages all the details, everything from bill pay to maintenance to design, as well as scheduling so that each co-owner has fair and equitable access to the calendar throughout the mm. year. 
I can imagine our, our viewers probably screaming at the TV for this moment thing, saying, OK, that sounds great. But what if you want to sell a home? What if one of the other eight families, seven families damages the house? What happens then, Austin? Yeah, these are some really great questions. So first, if you would like to sell a home, if you're a second homeowner today that owns 100% of your home, but you're like most second homeowners in the sense that you only use it five or six weeks per year, you can call Picasso and we'll actually buy 50 to 75% of your home to bring in other co-owners that would like to co-own it with you. In terms of the damage question, we handle that as well. If an owner were to do damage to the property, that owner would be responsible for paying for that damage. But the big difference here with home ownership is that when people own property, they're committed to not just the home, but they're committed to the community and the neighborhood. So they treat the home like it's their own because at the end of the day, it is their own. And, and, and Austin, you're moving now into Spain. Explain why you've decided to venture into Europe, in particular into Spain. Yeah, so a lot of people aspire to own second homes. About 75% of the families that we survey are interested in owning second homes. But the number one thing that prohibits people from owning a second home is the cost. And this... Mm. Uh, this constraint exists all over the world, not just in the United States, but throughout Europe, throughout Mexico, throughout the Caribbean, frankly, throughout you know many parts of the world. So Picasso goes into markets where people are interested in co-owning homes. We have about 2 million people that visited our website last quarter, and all of those people tell us what they're interested in. And we have a lot of buyers who are interested in Spain because it's a beautiful place that's very desirable as a second home location, and that's where Picasso operates. But of course, I mean, explain to us and really the, the viewers the challenges, of course, of going, you know, mostly from a U.S. market to now a European market. What are the challenges for you as a business? Yeah, well, as a business, I would say the biggest challenges are our exponential growth. I mean, we launched this business about one year ago. Uh, on October 1st of 2020, and it's been growing super fast. We've gone from six months ago, we were just in a dozen markets to more than 25 destinations today. We've gone from you know just 30 people at the beginning of the year to 120 plus people across 20 states. And that sort of growth is a challenge for any business. So ultimately, that's really where we spend our time and energy is making sure we do what we do well and consistently for our owners every time. But in terms of purchasing real estate across borders, there are a lot of challenges. If you're from the United States, for example, and interested in owning property in Spain, there's a lot that you need to know. You need to have the proper attorneys, the proper real estate professionals. You need to know how transactions work. And one of the big benefits of owning through Picasso is that we handle all those details, making purchasing real estate across borders very easy. Austin Allison, we wish you the very best of luck, the CEO of Picasso. Thanks very much, Austin. Thank and we'll you, have Lisa. much more news after the short break. Now, 40 countries have so far ratified an agreement struck in January to create the African continental free trade area. The deal came with a target of boosting Africa's exports by $560 billion. Lenin Jokos asked the man at the helm how the agreement is processing. So, Secretary General, I mean, at the end of the day, you are the one that's helping implement this mammoth task to connect 
a single market. So how far are we in harmonizing rules, lifting tariffs and opening up borders so we can boost intra-Africa trade? It's going to take time. It's going to take a very long time. I always make the point that it took market integration in Europe over 72 years. It took the Europeans 72 years to get to the point where they are today. And so we have a long way to go to build the capacity of our customs authorities, to make sure that our customs authorities across the, the length and breadth of the continent, that um, they know exactly what the rules require for trade facilitation, for goods in, in, in transit. Some people don't believe that the continental free trade area will be implemented. Are you feeling confident it will be done? I am very realistic about the challenges um, that lie ahead, uh, but I believe uh, with all my being that this agreement will be implemented. Um, we have never had this level of political will and legal commitment uh, before for a trade agreement on the African continent. I know that uh, like in any other trade agreement, not everybody is going to implement at the same time. Some countries will move much faster than others. Some countries will have an interest in the services sector. Some countries will have an interest in manufacturing. And so we have to bear all of that in mind. Do we have any success stories that have already started to see the benefits or at least gearing up for what a more connected Africa will look like? What are you hearing from executives and the business communities? The success stories are there. If you are a big corporation, as soon as that new market is, is opened to you, you are able to ensure that you have a commercial presence there. And so the, we, we, we are going to see that bigger corporations will be the immediate beneficiaries and that institutional investors will be the immediate beneficiaries. But what we have to work on and to make sure that they also see the benefits are the small medium enterprises. And that's going to take perhaps two to three years. Now, I've been talking of mammoth tasks and the Jurassic Park movies were all about resurrecting extinct species by the extracting their DNA. Now, that idea is a step closer to becoming reality. A company called Colossal has raised $15 million to resurrect the giant woolly mammoth. They plan to extract DNA from frozen remains and mix it with elephant DNA. Now, supporters say the hybrid could help restore the Arctic ecosystem. And believe it or not, this is what's written for me. I hear they like eating plants, not humans. And that's it for me. Thanks very much for watching. A special edition of Connect the World is next with Becky Anderson live for you in Islamabad, Pakistan. Do stay right here with CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.